Hello and welcome to a very exciting issue, issue, edition, let's go with edition, edition of the Mayor On Air podcast. I, of course, am the mayor of Hinchtown, James Hinchcliffe. We are here, Sirius 212, XM 209, and we are excited to be here in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's the start of the 2017 Verizon IndyCar season, and we are kicking off uh, our podcasting season-ish. I mean, I know we've already done one with Robert Wickens, but from here at the track with none other than Mr. Brian Barnhart. So round of applause in front of our live studio audience. We are here in the Mahaffey Theater in downtown St. Pete, which is by far the most elaborate setting we've ever done a Marinara podcast from. New microphone, Buzzkill's got new headphones. We're in, a, we're in a stadium thing, we're in a theater. This is pretty cool. Mr. Barnhart, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, we, we always like to poke fun at, uh, at ourselves a little bit here and ask our guests how many how many uh, editions or episodes of the Mayor on Air podcast have you listened to before coming on here? Um, being brutally honest, I didn't even know there was such a thing until I was invited to uh, be a guest of it. I would say that's one step worse than most people. Most people have heard of it, but haven't listened to any, and he just didn't even know it existed. So like, since I got here before you arrived, and I wasn't sure what we were doing, I was sending you a text, are we doing that radio thingy, or what? I didn't even know what to call it. Well, it's a podcast. It's also a radio show. We are on Sirius XM, so that that is that is cool. So, uh, as as you are a neophyte to the show, uh, I'll give you a little breakdown. We're going to do three segments, and the first one I always like to t- talk about IndyCar racing. That seems to make a lot of sense. Um, normally, we'd recap the last race, preview the next one, but as there hasn't really been a last one, let's go back a step further. Let's talk about the 2016 season as a whole, from from where you are as obviously an official in the series, but also as a as a fan and you know passionate member of the racing community. How would you sum up the 2016 IndyCar season? Um, I think it was a continuation of um, the standard that that the Verizon IndyCar series has set for a number of years, and that is just absolutely the best racing on the planet, the most depth of field and greatest amount of competition. We have a lot of different winners each weekend, uh, a lot of great race drivers, a lot of great teams out there, and just the fact that you have such a high percentage of our field capable of winning on any given weekend. Um, we've been that way for the last half dozen years or so or, or more, and we continue to do that, and 2016 was the same. All right, let's take the Indy 500 out of it because that's not fair, and I want you to pick what was your favorite race of the 2016 season. Uh, okay, you're going to – let me think on that one a little bit. I used to love Phoenix. I, I didn't like it as much this year when they reconfigured the racetrack. I kind of liked the, the older configuration of Phoenix. Um, you know, I, I will tell you, probably boring to watch from a competitive standpoint, but from a mastery standpoint, I thought Joseph's drive at Iowa was absolute mastery. As, as much as people were struggling to get around the place, that car was so consistent, so good. You're dealing with traffic on 17-second laps, a number of restarts for him, and just to be that dominating was a, a pretty impressive drive. Coming back from an injury and, you know. Yeah, all those factors. All those factors for sure. Now, you know, the, the, the people, Brian, the people want me to ask the hard questions. That's what this is all about. Got it. Um, pancakes or waffles? Waffles. Okay. Just kidding. Uh, in, in all seriousness. I was serious. Waffles. No, I <laughs> Not even close. I'm a pancake guy myself, but that's fine. Agree to disagree. Uh, basically, if you can put maple syrup on it, I'm all for that's it. So I'm, I'm an equal opportunity, you know, breakfast guy. Um, your job is not easy. Being the director of an IndyCar race is not an easy thing to do. Um, that said, 
I know that you're a perfectionist. You're someone that's got a lot of passion for the sport and growing the sport and making it better, always constantly improving. From your seat, what was something that race control could have done better in 2016, and how has that been addressed for the 2017 season? Well, you know, I think there were a couple of examples that are right in line with what you're talking about. And Pagano's pit exit at Long Beach was something that caused concern and whether it was a violation and the stewards had to look at it and see if there needed to be a penalty. Um, I think that's a perfect example of something happening on the racetrack and our ability to respond to it. By the time we got to Barber, the next race weekend, we had a solution. We then went through the rest of the year. We cut pit exit timelines, took all discretion out of it, didn't have to rely on cameras or video. You just got a transponder in the car, and if it read, then you did a proper pit exit. If it didn't read, you missed the line. You know, that's the kind of stuff that I think, you know, I wish we wouldn't have had the situation at Long Beach. Once we did have it, though, it showed our ability to respond to it and make improvements on it all the way around. Um, the other things that we've done, which are a little different that I don't think people really realize, I've debated this for years, is how much to share with you guys as race drivers on how much information we have in race control. Knowing the mentality of Because <laughs> we could use that to our advantage exactly. if we know, you know what you I, do. I think on one hand, know. you would explain to these guys, like you said, this isn't easy. We're trying to cover, in Road America's case, four miles of racetrack and 22 cars out there. We've got action happening all over the place, and we are 100% at the mercy of what a cameraman is showing us. And you would be stunned to see sometimes what the cameramen are showing us. Not uncommon for them to, you know, we're in beautiful downtown St. Pete right now. It will not be uncommon for us in race control to have a camera over by turn 10, zooming in on one of the yachts and some lady in a bikini out there. There are nice yachts out there. Which, I, which I get that's, it. That's fabulous, but that does us no good in race control when we've got cars on the racetrack, and our responsibility is to alert you guys as quickly as possible to an unsafe condition on the racetrack. And there's, we've got our connection with the production truck and the red hat position and we're yelling at them get the cameras on the cars please you know and you know that's the struggle is trying to cover the real estate the number of corners the number of cars we are 100 percent reliable on cameras who we do not actually control what they're pointing at again one of the things that we made a difference with this year we bought 10 um, internet driven wi-fi cameras mm -hmm that are from access high def cameras and we can now control them from race control i don't have to talk to the producer and tell them hey get the camera show me this. turn 10 to show me yeah. this we've got a guy in there now and so we don't have as many cameras as our network partners have but we do have 10 that are at our control and they're helping us with that as well so i think those are both examples of improvements we made in race control and we'll continue to evolve that and get better very cool and we're, we're here in st pete for the first race so now looking forward to 2017 what can the fans expect out of this event what do you think are going to be the cool stories to watch out for and, and how do you think this one's going to unfold i think this one's going to be really neat because they've made a significant change to this racetrack about 80 percent of this racetrack including the entire front straightaway the airport runway has been repaved and you know that we did some two-seater runs this morning and I talked to both Davey Hamilton and Mario and this racetrack is going to drive a little bit like a permanent road course one that's smooth and instead of what you expect out of the Detroit's the Sebring's the Long Beach's the St. Pete's bump rough 
there's not going to be any of that. It, it seems to so, be a really smooth racetrack and it's going to drive totally different. So St. Pete goes from bumpy, wide, low grip, turn one, that always causes accidents, to smooth, grippy, turn one, still wide. The, are we going to see more or we, less likely chance of big pileup in turn one? Uh, more likely. I think guys are going to feel pretty brave. <laughs> be braver. I'm going to go really wide. I'm going to swing and I can do this. And if I'm Fair on the outside enough. of one, I'm on the inside of two and I think I can make it stick. So. Fair enough. Real quick, before our first break, uh, we like to do this always previewing a race we would like to get our guests to give their prediction for one two and three it doesn't have to be in, in any in any order just who do you think will be on the podium here in st pete and I, I don't count. You know how inappropriate that is for me to say. <laughs> yes, I do. That. Yes, this I do. But this is the hard questions. <laughs> it's not who you want to. It's who do you think uh, will, historically speaking, based on what you've seen in testing, what you know. Well, Montoya's won here the last two years, so I'm definitely picking him. <laughs> figured that's a safe one to go with. Servia did a really good job subbing for Will last year, so he could maybe bring up a good move. And Ed Carpenter, brilliant. All right, Mr. Barnhart, we're going to run to a quick break. But to do that, we need you to give us a song to play during the commercial break for the citizens of Hinchtown. Well, I think appropriate and starting off for the 2017 season debut, we'll do Dire Straits with Heavy Fuel. (laughs) There you go, Dire Straits. Back with more from Mr. Brian Barnhart right after this.
back here at uh, St. Petersburg, Florida for the first race of the Verizon IndyCar Series in 2017. This is the Mayor on Air podcast. I, of course, am the mayor of Hinchtown, James Hinchcliffe. We're here on Sirius 212 XM 209 and joined today uh, for our first podcast of the racing season with Mr. Brian Barnhart. And Brian, one of the things that uh, I I don't think a lot of people understand and appreciate, and I get this, I'm, I'm in a job where people think I sit down and turn a wheel left and right and that's, that's all I do and it's really simple. I don't think people appreciate what all goes into being race director in the Verizon IndyCar Series. Walk us through, I won't say walk us through a race weekend because we don't have that kind of time, but walk us through from, let's say, an hour before the green flag starts to roughly when the checkered flag falls. What are the main things you do? What are you looking for? How does your day run when the race goes green? Wow, you're right. There, there's just not hardly enough time to talk about all of that. But just as hectic and, and as frantic as race day is, uh, we obviously begin at 8 o'clock in the morning. We'll have all you guys in here with a driver and team manager owner meeting to discuss the rules, the procedures, and protocols for the day. Which are always very smooth. Rules. Drivers never complain. There's never any bickering. It's always very easy for you to do that. Uh, I don't recall that. <laughs> Sorry, uh, James. What driver's meetings have you been in? Were you sleeping through most of them? Because uh, that's not the... I do wear you know, my sunglasses occasionally. Uh, they are. Um, they can be quite interesting, and, and it's not uncommon for the first one of the year because there's a lot of, you know, anticipation. We haven't raced for several months, and I think guys are ready to go, and, you know, I think they're on edge a little bit about start and, and restarts. And for the most part, though, I think I feel pretty good about this weekend. We've got um, only one rookie driver, Ed, jo- Ed Jones, joins us out of uh, – the champion of the Indy Light Series, and he'll be driving for Dale Coyne. But the other drivers in the field have all been here before. They've run under our rules before, so there's a lot of continuity from that aspect, which is a good component of it. We haven't had any significant rule changes. The biggest ones we've had really involve qualifying. So I think the meeting should go pretty good on that. And back to your original comment, as, as busy as the day is, we start with that meeting in the morning. So there's a lot of preparation into that. A lot of people don't realize how much work goes into the preparation of that meeting. We do a lot of pictures, a lot of PowerPoint presentations. 
just to make sure we've covered all the bases. We try and provide as much in, um, information as we can. We try and anticipate with the issues and hopefully answer your questions before you guys have them. In general, I think we do a pretty good job of, of that For aspect sure. of it. We come out of that meeting and we will roll right into a race control meeting where you guys will go out and get ready for the nine o'clock final warm-up to run from nine to nine thirty all of us involved with the conduct of the event our race control personnel our track safety personnel will gather up immediately after our drivers meeting and we will talk about how we're going to conduct the event and the nuances one of the things about all the the different varieties of tracks we run you know as an example okay if our medical car, if we have an incident out in turn eight, where are we going to take an injured driver to? Right. Does, he come, does he come to the med infield medical center? Does he leave? Does he go straight to the hospital? Do we have a helicopter on site? If the driver's uninjured, where are we returning? Mm -hmm. Uninjured drivers return back to the Verizon pit and pit lane. A lot of logistical issues. All the, all the things that just to make sure everybody knows, and you, you, don't you don't really think about those things. Hopefully they run smoothly. As an example, if, if we have an incident and a dr we got to return a driver to pit road who's uninjured, we bring him back to the Verizon IndyCar pit in pit road, which means we have the medical car on pit road. If pits are open and you guys are pitting, so we've got to, right. I'm telling the fire dispatch, make sure you're communicating because if I've got the medical car dropping off the driver at the Verizon pit and two cars are in the pits, we got to be talking. I got to have Jim Swintal telling the team broadcast, hey, watch, we got a medical car in pit lane. All of that coordination, wreckers, we got to get those people back on station. If we have to take a, a driver out of the facility and go to the hospital, here we do not have an infield care center. We will leave right out through the runoff at turn one. We talk about direct access to the hospital. Um, we, we just talk about how we're going to run the race, where the pace cars stage, where we're going to, you know, Closed pits where we do restarts, number of pace laps. We do the two-seater pre-race. Mario's driving it. He's going to go down the front straightaway one time, and then pit. We're going green third time by. Uh, we talk about all those types of things, and we have a, a meeting talking about the television window. Our partner here this weekend is ABC. We're on from here to here. Here's our window. If we run long, Robbie, can they extend? Robbie Green's president of IMS Productions. We talk about all that kind of stuff. So all of that takes place. We're going to do our driver's meeting 8 to 8.30. We're going to do that meeting 8.30 to 9. We're on track with final warm-up 9 to 9.30. Uh, we have um, 30 minutes after the warm-up ends. You guys have got to notify us what tire choice you're starting on, so we've got to sort the tire choice out on it. And if we and don't, then, you guys just flip a coin and decide for us? Yeah. Appreciate I, that. I, I never win on that. I'd like to put <laughs> reds on left, blacks on right, or something like that. <laughs> Fronts or rears. Yeah, something diagonals, like that. Diagonals, whatever. Something a little different. Let's mix it up. If Rain tires. To, that would be cool. <laughs> see, see, you get it. I think that would be a fun thing to do, and that would be enough of a penalty. My guess is next time the team would get the information into us. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, we do that. Then, of course, we've got all the support series with the Mazda Road to Indy stuff. We'll have F2000 races. We'll have Pro Mazda races, and we'll have Indy Lights races, and we'll be up in race control conducting those. And at about 1223, we give the command to start engine for us, and we're green give, give or take. by. At, at about 1223, yeah. So, it, is, it, is a, it is military precision, right? I mean, everything absolutely. is down to the minute. Every possible outcome is considered. A plan is put in place for it. There's just, there's so, you watch it on TV, and it, everything just happens, and and I think so few people actually have an appreciation for how much work really goes into that and, and what you have to do. For the most part, I'll take that as a great compliment because it, if it does go off that smoothly, it does seem seamless. And that's that's a great reflection on a tremendous team that IndyCar has in place that, that executes these event weekends uh, exceptionally well. And 
you know, we take a lot of pride in trying to anticipate and be as proactive as we can to plan for as many scenarios and what ifs and hypotheticals as you can. But I will tell you, in all my years of being involved in racing, there's one thing you can't plan for, and that's all of them. Because, man, just when you think you've seen it all, you haven't. And it's 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 funny you brought that up uh, in all your years in racing. Because the next thing I wanted to ask you, and we're we're getting a little short on time in this segment, but briefly-ish, as long as I've been involved in the in the quote-unquote IndyCar world. Brian Barnhart's been there and been in charge. Where, where'd you come from? How, how, did, how did Brian Barnhart become Brian Barnhart? I, was, uh, I started pretty early in the deal. I've been doing open-wheel IndyCar racing since 1982, and um, I'm 55 years it's old. before and, I was born. I thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> Buzzkill, um, too. <laughs> probably, uh, you yeah, beyond a lot of them. Um, I've been an employee of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Holman and Company, IndyCar, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I think I'm in my 23rd or 24th year with them. What and, was your first position there? Uh, I was actually superintendent of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. There you so go. I was honored to have that position. The Holman George family's ownership of the Speedway began in 1946. And from 1946 through the time I had that job, I was only the third track superintendent they'd ever had. They had Clarence Cagle, Charlie Thompson, and myself. And I took a great deal of pride and honor of having that position, uh, held that position for a couple of years when Tony formed the Indy Racing League in 94, started its first race in January of 96, and then switched me uh, from the track superintendent position over to the IRL position. I've been doing that ever since. Prior to that, I was uh, very fortunate to serve on some really good race teams and work with some really good race car drivers and uh, be a mechanic in IndyCar racing. When you were wrenching, who was the best guy to work for driver-wise? Who was the best driver you worked for? And I'm not just talking about, not necessarily pure talent or whatever, but like who, was, who was just the best guy to work for? Our best results, and, and I've got a great relationship with him, and, and just think the world of Al Unser Jr. I was very fortunate mm-hmm. to be on Al's car both years that he won the Speedway in 92 and 94. And I, I loved watching Al's approach to a race weekend. Everything we did was methodical, and he never took his eye off the prize. We weren't there to set fastest lap in practice. We weren't there to qualify on the pole. Every, every run we made was to make that race car better in the race. And if we qualified, I mean, I remember one year, um, his first year with Penske in 94, and we went over there. and. We ran the 30-minute warm-up at Milwaukee, and Al had qualified 17th. And in the 30-minute warm-up on race day, he comes in and gets out of the car with about eight or nine minutes left, and he's got that look in his eye that I had seen so many times before. And he said, "We're good. She's good, boys." And and everybody else, you know, and this is Penske Racing. He's like, "You don't get out early. We're here. It's green. We're on track." And and I'm I'm like, guys, and, and you could see some of the guys because Al had only been there about a half a year, and everybody's like. Um, we're 17th on the grid, and he says we're good. Well, we won. Yeah. <laughs> You're good. It was, it was good. And I just really enjoyed his approach to making the car better for yeah. race day every weekend. For sure. You know, it was it You was did, fun. did it right, and it, yeah. and it, it worked uh, more yeah, often it, than not. He had a great relationship. So on the counter to that, who's the biggest pain in the ass? Ooh. Um, <laughs> well... Probably been known. Uh, I would probably go with Hiro Masushita. 
<laughs> who was known in our in our circles as uh, King Hero. There you go. And the reason he was known as King Hero. I know where this is going. We need the dump button real quick. Yeah, was because <laughs> um, when you're out in the radio, and you guys know this, when you got the repeater, especially as the driver's frustrated and pushes the button before the repeater would kick in, you would clip the first fart part of the word. Um, and Emerson and several drivers, Emerson Fittipaldi, would refer to him as in king hero and <laughs> beeping hero and yeah yeah so all we used to get on the radio was king hero <laughs> king hero there you go yeah. too good all right we are going to take another quick break uh back with brian barthart just after this but again brian what song are the fans going to hear this time oh let's go with the doors and la woman there you go la woman we'll be back right after this
midnight alleys roam. Cops and cars, the topless bars, never saw a woman. It is the Mayor on Air podcast here, Sirius 212 XM209 with Mr. Brian Barnhart, race director of the Verizon IndyCar Series. And Brian, we're in our third and final segment of the show, which we like to call Trick or Tweet. Okay, and, and the, the concept here is very simple. The guest, in this case uh, you, would uh, either perform an elaborate, uh, well-thought-out uh, uh, you know, prop using magic trick for Buzzkill and myself and our live studio audience, which consists of Fiona Hewitson. Uh, hi, Fee. Um, or, or in lieu of that, you can answer questions off Twitter from fans. 
was your choice. Yeah, oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with the Twitter, I guess. Yeah, you left yeah. your flamethrower at home, I, so the elaborate so I, magic I'm tricks not going to work. Capable of those. Let's go with the questions. Okay, we'll go with the questions. Brilliant. Um, we have some questions here from uh, from fans, and the first one, this one, I quite, I quite, no, I, I, I quite like this one. We're going to start with this one. Uh, it's from Gord, who who, <laughs> who says, "Why ask for four good ones? Why not ask for three good ones and one mediocre one?" That's a, that's a fair point. And for, the, for those who don't know what this means, yeah. it is a bit of a tradition when qualifying for the Indianapolis 500. Brian stands at the front of the line, and before each driver goes for their qualifying attempt, he'll lean in and, and give a little speech, a little pep talk, and it usually includes a line, give me four good ones. Because as, at Indian qualifying, obviously, you run four qualifying laps. And, uh, and so Gordon wanted to know, why not, why not three good ones and one average one? That actually reminds me a little bit of Little Al when we started on the pole in 94. His first lap was obviously a mediocre lap, and then his next three were great laps, but it was enough for the pole. So it's a fair question. You could actually get away with three good ones and one mediocre. So right. And if you like, point. Well, it's, it. it's are you going to maybe take that again? I, I just know this year at Indy he's going to lean in. <laughs> you know, and be like, All right, you know, I, I haven't done that. Mediocre. I haven't done that the last couple of years. And the, the story behind that actually was it was kind of a, I don't want to take too long on this, but. I used to do that and have a conversation with a driver, and James, you can relate to this. It is the most harrowing time we have for sure in a race car. Mm-hmm. It is a 10-mile run, the longest duration at the most dangerous racetrack, highest margin of error, lowest you know knife edge downforce, and I will tell you, some really, really good race car drivers have come through there with a true deer in the headlight look, mm-hmm. and I felt like as someone, I some guys needed. A pep talk. Some guys needed a kick in the rear end, and and it was kind of a personal moment between me and the driver. And and there was one year, TV picked up something that I said to somebody, and then after that they wanted to wear a microphone, and I didn't want to wear a microphone because again, same thing. As soon as I started wearing the microphone, I had to say the same thing to everybody. Right, right. And it took the personal moment away, and mm-hmm. it became so redundant because if you didn't say the same thing, everybody, oh, he's doing something different. And no, it's. It was just a different deal, and then it lost all of its meaning to me. And then the funniest thing about it is when you're at the head of that qualifying line, you got that microphone on, and Foyt or Chip will walk up to you, and they'll start to say something to you, and you start pointing yeah, to the like, microphone, uh, uh, watching them on the mic. X-Nay, X-Nay. All right, coming through. Uh, that's funny. All right, well, now we now we know that. So that's, uh, I, I mean, I, I liked it. I liked hearing it myself, personally, but uh, that's just me. Uh, from another fan, we have, uh, this is from William. He would like to know if there's any chance uh, for Indy cars to run at Circuit of the Americas. If yes, uh, when-ish would you think that's possible? I know that's not exactly your area necessarily, but well, would you like it, to see a race there? Not, but I would love to see a race there. It's obviously a, a state-of-the-art, first-class facility. I think our cars would put on a tremendous show there. Uh, great market. You know, but as you say, when you when you get on the business side of where we're at, we got to be a little careful. Eddie Gossage and the Texas Motor Speedway would probably be um, a little concerned about a competing race that may take tickets out of his backyard. And you got to balance all that stuff out and and find out when it'd be the right time to go there in the right circumstances. Ultimately, I think we could make it work. It's a big enough. Uh, demographic market, different type of state. race. It is a big state. It's you can the draw biggest from one. People from a lot of places. Like um, 
eventually I think there's a good chance you'll probably see us head in that direction. That would be pretty cool. That's, I, think I know so it's, too. it's, it's uh, I've gotten to drive around that in, uh, like, I guess I technically raced in a vintage race uh, a couple of years back, and it's quite an impressive facility. Yeah. I know the, I want to say the Penske guys did a test there at the beginning of the aero kit days. It, is, it certainly they've, is an approved facility for right. us to go. Obviously, we don't get a lot of takers there since we don't race there. Guys don't like to race, uh, waste their minimum. It also ain't cheap. Uh, no. It ain't cheap. We don't race at Sebring either, but we do a lot of laps around Sebring. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? That's another it's, one's not cheap. That's, yeah, but it's a little more, a little more reasonable than uh, than old Coda. Yeah. Um, this this question is this one's a little out of left field, a little dif- different. We're gonna change gears, uh, so to speak, here a little bit. Um, if you could be any non-human animal, what would you be? Dog. <laughs> a dog? Dog. Why a dog? I, I just love dogs. You're a dog guy. You're not a cat guy? No. All right. You and I, this, this are, is why we get along. Dogs are unconditional love. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that to me is the perfect thing. You know, if you, the best example I can give you of unconditional love, I mean, if you've, if a guy locked his wife or his girlfriend in the trunk of a car and locked his dog in the trunk of the car with her for an hour and you open the trunk, which one would be happy to see you? It's true. It's a great point. You know, I mean, great the dog point. would sit there and wag his tail and just, did I did I do good? You know, I still love him. I'm moderately concerned. This sounds like it's coming from a place of experience. Yeah. And I'm not sure why your wife or girlfriend's been locked I, in the trunk that, of a car. But but I'm not going to go there right now. I'm not saying it that we should explain, alert the authorities, but if you're listening, multiple marriages in my <laughs> life. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I've got one. Okay. Oh, Buzzkill's going to join the conversation. He's got one for you. Craziest or dumbest thing a driver has asked you in a driver's meeting? I mean, should we just bring up Elio's pass? <laughs> uh, and now, um, now, this is when Elio got yelled at at the, or you the race there, of champions. With that in the. Um, Ninja Warrior, because he asked oh, yeah. at every stop. <laughs> Tony the guy, the guy finally it. was like, are you going to do this at every station? <laughs> so, <laughs> Brian, why don't you explain to everybody why we both landed on Elio for that one? Well, the evolution of the driver meeting and the presentation of material, he is our litmus test. Because, <laughs> uh, it, you know, when we were used to, in the past, we would talk about there's a line here and you need to cross the line. And we would talk about that. And then about three seconds to two minutes later, Elio's hand would go up and say, what line are you talking about? <laughs> so we quickly evolved into pictures, and this line is the one we're talking about. And the pictures weren't enough. We had to put an arrow pointing to that line. Um, he's uh, he's sometimes a little challenging to get the point across to. And uh, I, I, I can't tell if he's just not listening or if he just isn't getting it or what the deal is. It's, it's so bad that, like, the rest of the drivers have a pool on how far into the driver's meeting before Elio's hand goes up. We <laughs> inevitably it goes up, and that's why whenever Elio's hand goes up for the first question, there's like a couple cheers and a couple ah craps because ah two minutes too yep, soon, or yep, like ah yes nailed early. it, you know. Well, we used to keep track when we would hold our off-season meetings, and we'd have somebody sitting up there, and when we were talking, we ask you guys to you know just raise your hand and hold right. your question until we're done. We automatically put his name at the top of the list because <laughs> he was always the first one. And okay, any questions, Elio, and then everybody yeah. else would chime in. Um, he often uses his. Experience excuse of lack of understanding of the English language, but I think he's been here long enough. I'm not falling for that one. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I was going to say, he, I'm pretty sure he's been here for like 25 years. That's not really, uh, that's not really a good, uh, a good excuse anymore. I do, he's just looking for extra clarification. That, and that, you know, I'd rather it that way than the other way. And so. based on some of the things I've seen him do on the racetrack, he needs it. 
<laughs> Fair enough. And on that bombshell, Mr. Brian Barnhart, we thank you so much for being part of the show. Thank you. Uh, your, your first, hopefully, of many appearances here on the Marinair Podcast. Thank you to everybody uh, at home listening, whether it's uh, downloaded the podcast or you're listening live on Sirius 212 XM209. And we look very much forward to the race in St. Petersburg, and we'll be back for another edition, I imagine, in Long Beach. If not before, because we got a bit of a break. We'll see. Maybe, maybe Buzzkill and I will sneak one in before that. Either way, thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you soon.